0: Afraid of a global nuclear disaster? Or the likes of a Star Wars cosmic conflict? Are we on a countdown to the Battle of Armageddon? What does the future hold for our world? Have you tried to understand the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation only to be confused by all the symbols? These and many other amazing questions will be answered through this prophecy seminar. Yes can understand the books of Daniel and Revelation, and in the process, get to know God in a deeper way. Welcome to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Daniel. Here is your host, Pastor David Price. Well, good
1: evening, everyone. It's my pleasure and privilege to welcome you to Prophecy Seminar lesson number 22. Um, I believe that you'll be blessed, and I think it's important that we ask God to be with us. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, I just want to come before you in Jesus' name to thank you for the amazing prophecies and teachings that we're learning in this series from your word. We understand that without the Holy Spirit, we will receive no benefit and blessing from tonight's presentation. And so we ask the Holy Spirit be our guide and teacher, and we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we're in lesson 22 tonight, and The theme of Lesson 22 really is how God makes outsiders insiders. Please join me at the top of page two or watch on the screen. Conflict after conflict has occurred throughout the book of Daniel. What happened in ancient Babylon is a foretaste of what will happen to God's people in the time of the end. The good news of the book of Daniel is that God ultimately will win this conflict. God's people may be threatened. They may be imprisoned or even face death, but ultimately they will be delivered. What wonderful assurance. What glorious good news for the people of God. And I believe that uh, the people who are joining us tonight are part of the people of god tonight our three discovery questions are number one to whom does the term israel refer today ethnic jews in other words literal jewish people with jewish jewish ethnicity or the true followers of jesus christ number two are some prophecies in the bible conditional on man's obedience or would they be totally unconditional Thirdly, who eventually took on the role of God's chosen people? So here we are tonight, we're in lesson 22, God's people delivered, but I want to tell you that lesson 22 strongly links into lesson 23, which is called the day of deliverance. And in lesson 23, we're going to look closely and carefully at the subject of the rapture and how the rapture Fits into the second coming. So these are two fascinating lessons. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, our first heading in uh, session 22 is the day of deliverance. Join me in question one. What three things happen concerning God's people at the time of the end? And we're going back to the book of Daniel and Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. For those of you joining us perhaps for the first time in this seminar series, we use the New King James Version but often I will refer to the King James Version and occasionally other versions for clarification. Let's go to Daniel 12 and verse 1. Daniel wrote, At that time, Michael shall stand up. I'm going to pause there because a number of times in this seminar, we've shared with you that we believe that Michael is the same person as the Son of God. And I'd like to just briefly cover this with you right now because we haven't had an opportunity to cover it in the past. So we're asking the question, who is Michael? Who is Michael, the archangel? In Jude verse 9, it speaks about Michael, the archangel, disputing with Moses, uh, with God about the body of Moses. In First Thessalonians 4.16, it says that, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And so it says the archangel's voice raises the dead, because then it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, if we had a third um, text that told us that Jesus' voice raised the dead, I think we'd have our answer. And you'll find that verse in John 5, 25, and also verse 28 John 5 25 and 28 but the whole passage is really 25 to 29. And in those verses we find that the voice of the son of God is the voice that raises the dead just as he raised Lazarus. Therefore Jesus Christ is the head of the angels and that is the meaning of an arch angel or an archangel as in Revelation 12 7 to 9 which is where Michael and his angels fought against the dragon Satan and his angels. The fourth point I'd like to make is the name Mikael or Michael means who is like God in the Hebrew. That's what it means. Michael means who is like God. And the answer is no one is like God except God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It can also mean one like or equal to God, or in our modern society, it can mean god-like or christ-like now i have a clarification on what i've just shared with you jesus christ is not an angel he has never been an angel he has he will never be an angel nor will he ever be a created being so be very very clear on that we believe that jesus christ is fully divine and totally equal with god and he is head of the angels Daniel 12.1, what three things happen concerning God's people at the time of the end? And at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time, your people, Daniel, shall be delivered everyone who is found written in the book. The three things that happen concerning God's people at the time of the end, Michael stands up. This is signifying the end of the judgment in heaven. The judgment is over and Michael stands up and prepares to return to planet earth in the second coming of Christ. Number two, there is a great time of trouble, such a fierce time of trouble that It can't be compared to any other trouble that's happened on the earth. And thirdly, the good news, apart from the judgment being over and it being in favour of the saints, is that God's people, Daniel's people, shall be delivered. This message of assurance was addressed to Daniel. His people would be the Jewish people since Daniel was a Jew. Does this mean that only Jewish people will be delivered in the final conflict? Is Daniel 12:11, sorry, is Daniel 12:1 talking about the Israelites living in the Middle East, New York, or anyone else? To whom does the term Israel, Daniel's people, apply in the last days? In order to fathom fully the meaning of this prophecy, we need to carefully examine the term Israel as it appears throughout scripture. In our search, we will discover that the term Israel changes meaning depending upon who the people of God are at that particular time. The term Israel is the covenant name for the people of God. Well, we're halfway down page two in the lesson guide. If you've joined us via YouTube, the lesson guide can be downloaded on the page under the description bar. So our second heading is Israel in the Old Testament, and we go to question two. Thanks for joining us. What two things did God promise to Abraham when he called him out of the land of Ur? This is Ur of the Chaldees in the area of Babylonia. Genesis 13, 14 to 16. And the Lord said to Abram, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants there's our answer and i will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth then your descendants also could be numbered the two things god promised abraham were land both earthly and eventually heavenly and secondly descendants meaning his seed and the generations that would come down the line from his family. Question three, who is the seed promised to Abraham? Following along this line of thought, we go to Galatians three and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as to many, but as of one, and to your seed, And Paul tells the church at Galatia that the seed, that seed, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, when was this concept of seed first brought in? And I'm going to ask you to look at the screen. This is not in the lesson. I'm thinking about a verse in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God in the garden said, and I will put enmity, meaning a hatred or a fear or an animosity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed, serpent, and her seed, Adam and Eve. He, a promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, shall bruise your head, serpent, and you, serpent, shall bruise his heel. Friends, what does that mean? Well, Paul tells us in Romans sixteen twenty, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. So Jesus crushed the head of a serpent on the cross. I've been told by those who know in the bush that snakes have voluntary muscle contractions even when their heads are cut off; their bodies still writhe apparently till the sun sets. I think that's very, very interesting, and so. The head of the serpent will be cut off. It was guaranteed by Jesus on the cross, but he would strike at the heel of the Messiah and Jesus would have to die on that cross for us. Question four, what is the land promised to Abraham in Hebrews 11, 10 and 16? For he, Abraham, waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God jumping to verse 16 but now they desire a better that is an heavenly country therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared a city for them so the land promised to abraham in ancient times was a heavenly country did you notice that the promises made to abraham of land and seed were very special promises They did not refer just to having many descendants and to inheriting the earthly Canaan. These promises were also spiritual promises to be the progenitors of the Messiah and to inherit the heavenly kingdom. Since these were spiritual promises given to a spiritual person, not all the descendants of Abraham received the promises. Isaac received them, but Israel did not. Sorry. Isaac received them, but Ishmael did not. Jacob received them, but Esau did not. Since they were spiritual promises, they could only be given to a spiritual people. Question five at the top of page three. What was to be Jacob's new name after he'd wrestled with the angel? This was described as an angel or a man, but later it was said to be that Jacob had wrestled. With God, we go to Genesis 32, 27 and 28. So he, the messenger, the man, the angel, later revealed to be God, said to Jacob, What is your name? And Jacob would have said, Yaakov in the Hebrew, My name is Yaakov. And he said, The angel, the man said to Jacob, Your name shall no longer be called Yaakov, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. The NIV translates prevailed as you have struggled with God and men and have overcome. That answer is very significant. What was to be Jacob's new name after he wrestled with the angel? His name would be Yisrael or Israel. And this is a term for a covenant name. The term is a covenant name for the faithful people of God. The note says, this is the first time that the name Israel appears in scripture. It means the one who has prevailed with God, an overcomer. Note that it is a spiritual term applied to a spiritual person who has entered into a covenant relationship with God. Well, as time progressed, the name Israel became the name for the covenant people of God, who were mainly the ethnic descendants of Abraham in the Old Testament. Thus, the people who came out of Egypt under Moses were called the Israelites when they entered into covenant with God at Mount Sinai and became the covenant people of God. Under David and Solomon, they became a mighty nation. As long as they were faithful to God, The term Israel applied to them. Later, however, the 10 northern tribes ceded from the United Kingdom and they took the name Israel, but became unfaithful to God. God then called them a harlot because they professed to be Israelites, but they were not. The southern kingdom took the name Judah, and as long as they were faithful, they too could be called Israelites. As we will see even more clearly in the New Testament, the term Israel refers to the covenant people, the faithful covenant people of God, whoever and wherever they might be. Friends, we're looking at Israel in the Old Testament and we're at the bottom of page three. Question six, name two individuals who were not children of Abraham, who became Israelites and even progenitors of the promised seed, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question: is it even possible that non-ethnic Israelites could join into God's special Old Testament people? Is that even possible? Well, if you've done your homework in Joshua 6 and Ruth 4 and Matthew 1, 5, you'll know the answer. We're jumping to firstly the story of the overthrow of Jericho in Joshua 6:25. When the Israelites stormed the city, it says, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day, that is the day that the book of Joshua was written, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out of Jericho. So there is somebody interesting, and her name was Rahab. And it's very clear that she was a prostitute. She told lies to hold those spies. They went down the scarlet cord and were able to escape out of the city. She was quite a character. Now there's another lady who is also in the royal line um, or the legal line of Jesus Christ, and her name was Ruth. We go to Ruth four thirteen. So Boaz took Ruth as she was his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. So Ruth is not an Israelite, if you remember the story. She is a Moabites, and she becomes the great-grandma of King David and in the royal line to Jesus. It's absolutely incredible. Matthew 1, 5, and 6, And Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and we all remember who King David's father was, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, this is interesting because Matthew does not even name this woman. And this woman, as you well know, is Bathsheba. Name two individuals who were not children of Abraham, who become Israelites and even progenitors of the promised seed, Jesus Christ. So, friends, this is fascinating. Rahab is an Amorite and a harlot and Ruth is a Moabiteess. Let's go to the note. Boaz was the descendant of Rahab. He married Ruth and was the grandfather of King David. Both of these noble women became progenitors of Jesus Christ and they appear in his genealogy. Thus, it was possible in Old Testament times to become an Israelite. You might like to underline this if you didn't note it already thus it was possible in old testament times to become an israelite even though one was not born an israelite that's a very important point so friends i want to give you some extra material if you'd like to direct your attention to the screen and maybe write down a few texts the first text is i'd like to share with you exodus twelve thirty-eight, and i want to make the comment that the israelites were not all strictly ethnic jews they were a conglomerate of different peoples nations and races let's have a look when they left egypt and a mixed multitude went up with them also the flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock so when they left egypt yes some egyptians went with them but some of the peoples of the surrounding nations went out with them and these would have been the ones that were crying to go back to egypt they were tired of too much manna bread and they wanted to go back to the flesh pots of egypt i think they were calling for garlic leeks and onions the israelites were not all strictly ethnic jews i'm going to take you to isaiah 56 3 to 8 these are extra verses not in the lesson how did god feel about non-jews He said, do not let the son of the foreigner, the who? The son of the foreigner. What does that mean? The son of the alien, the son of the non-Jewish person, who has joined himself to the Lord, speak, saying, the Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the who? The eunuch say, here I am a dry tree. The New Living Translation translates that, here I am a person with no children and no future. And Isaiah 56, 4 and 5, giving some extra material. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. Better than that of sons and of daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also of who? The sons of the stranger, the sons of the foreigner, the sons of the alien who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people the lord god who gathers the outcasts of israel says yet i will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him in other words those who are gathered to israel friends somebody asked me the last time i ran the prophecy seminar to talk about the genealogy of jesus i will very briefly there is a legal line that jesus traces to Um, his genealogy there's a royal line and i've given you there the text from where this is drawn so in the legal side there was abraham isaac jacob jumping down there was judah who married tamar Does anyone remember tamar tamar of course was a canaanite who committed incest with amnon a very unfortunate story then we have salmon who married rahab Rahab was a prostitute she was an Amorite then we have Boaz who married Ruth and Ruth was a Moabitess and then we go through to Obed we go to David and Bathsheba we're not going to blame Bathsheba David committed adultery and we have to name him and shame him and both of them were guilty Solomon of course was a great idolater Eliakim, Eliezer and Jacob and then we have the royal line. I'm not going to read them all from Adam through to Jacob, from Salmon through to Heli. But what I want you to notice when you look at the legal and royal line, the legal line, the genealogy of Jesus actually comes from Joseph. And that's uh, recounted in Matthew 1, 1 to 17. The royal line comes through Mary, and that comes through Luke three twenty three to 38. So do you think Jesus had the right parents? Did he have the right mother and father? He absolutely did. And that is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, known as Jesus, the Christ. I hope that background will show you that in the legal line, there was not just pure ethnic Jews. There was Tamar, the Canaanite. There was Rahab, the Amorite. And there was Ruth, the Moabite. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Well, let's go to heading number three, conditional prophecy in question seven. If God predicts evil about a nation or people and they repent, will God bring the evil to pass? Or if God predicts good about a nation and they refuse to obey him, will God bring the good to pass? We're going back to Jeremiah 18. We're going to look at the following verses, which are verses seven to ten. God says, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up or pull down to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, then I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So notice the conditional nature of prophecy. I have added the word then in there. It says, if this happens, then I will do this. Notice that conditional nature. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and plan it, verse 10, if it does evil in my sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent of the good with which I said I will benefit it. Friends, I want to tell you today, there are some faiths that just take any prophecy Old Testament and they just take it and they run with it and they apply it into the future. But the question is, what nature of prophecy is it? Well, this one is an if, and then it is a then. And so it is clearly a Conditional prophecy based on if Israel does this, then God does that. If Israel doesn't do that, then God doesn't do that. So then I think conditional prophecy becomes a lot clearer as we understand it. So we're asking the question if God predicted evil about a nation uh, and they repented, will God bring the evil to pass? Or if you predicted good and they refused to obey, will God bring the good to pass? The answer is no. Join me at the top of page four. There are two types of prophecy in scripture, prophecies given by divine decree and prophecies that involve human choice. Jeremiah is declaring in this passage that all prophecies involving human choice are always conditional. The great outline prophecies of Daniel and Revelation that give us God's foreknowledge of human events are not conditional. So they are unconditional revelations. Um However, the prophecies given in the choices of men and nations, such as given in Jeremiah, are conditional upon man's obedience. So the human choice prophecies are conditional on man's obedience and they need human compliance or agreement. So let's get an example of this in the Old Testament so we can understand it a little bit better. For example, when Jonah preached to the Ninevites, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, Jonah 3.4, Nineveh was not destroyed in 40 days. Was Jonah a false prophet? No. What had happened? Conditions had changed. The people repented and God did not bring the evil to pass. When God predicted a glorious future for the ethnic nation of Israel, it would have happened if the ethnic nation of Israel had remained true to God. Since they did not remain true to God, The glorious predicted future never happened because such prophecy is always conditional upon man's choice to obey God's will or man's choice to not obey God's will. The power is in your hands. Question eight, what did God predict would happen to Israel if they were disobedient and under what conditions would they be able to return to their land? Good question. We're diving back into Deuteronomy 4 and looking at verses 27 to 30. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. This is his message to the nation of Israel. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wooden stone which neither see nor hear nor eat nor can they smell anything. Now, in this part of it, I've added in the if from the New King James Version down the bottom. But if, sorry, I've added in if from the King James Version. This is New King James. But if from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him, if you seek with him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you're in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when if you turn to the Lord God and obey His voice. What did God predict would happen to Israel if they were disobedient, and under what conditions would they be able to return? The Lord would scatter them among the peoples. That would be done because of apostasy, idolatry, disobedience, feeding their children to the God Molech, sacrificing their children to the gods, infanticide. Uh, You will seek the Lord your God when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Friends, do you think God allows hard lessons to come to us? If we do not grow during the times of plenty? I think I've shared with you before my belief that when I'm blessed, I'm cursed. And when I'm cursed, I'm blessed. That is when everything's going right. Maybe we don't need to lean hard on Jesus. Maybe we don't need to learn the scriptures. Maybe we don't need to memorize the promises. And I think during that time we're cursed. But during the times we think we're cursed and everything is going wrong, we're praying, we're studying, we're pleading with God in prayer. And that is the time when we are cursed that we're blessed. God allows hard lessons to come if we do not grow during the times of plenty. And that's what we're talking about right here with ancient Israel. They couldn't learn during the times of prosperity under David and Solomon. They were going to have to learn these lessons of dependence on God in captivity in Assyria and Babylon. Let me share the note under 8. Note the conditions stated for the return from captivity. Only if they sought the Lord and were obedient to him could they ever return to their land. As a result of their apostasy, the Israelites were taken to Babylonian in captivity. Daniel lived at this time of captivity, and he knew that it was the sins of the people that had caused this terrible calamity to come. Question nine. Jeremiah had predicted the Babylonian captivity. Does Jeremiah also give a prediction about their return to the land of Palestine? In Jeremiah chapter 30, we're going to look at verses 3 and then jump down to verse 11. For behold, the days coming, saith the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity, what's he call them? <laughs> My people, even though they've sinned, they've rebelled, they've gone to a foreign nation to serve the nations of foreign gods. I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall possess it. So there's our answer. I will cause them to return to the land. We jump to verse 11. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I've scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. You know, friends, there we hear the heart of God, don't we? There we hear the love of God for his people, Israel, and his love for us, his lost children here on planet Earth when we leave our relationship with him. Does Jeremiah also give a prediction about the return to the land of Palestine? Yes, God says I'll cause them to return to their land. It's interesting, friends, how many times this prophecy has been misapplied to Israel in 1948. But let's go to the note and I'll share some more on that. Jeremiah not only foresaw the 70 years of captivity in Babylon, but also predicted that a great company of Jews would return to the land of Palestine when the captivity was over. Now the lessons directed us to Jeremiah 31, eight and 9 but probably you didn't have time to look it up. Let's go to the map on the screen. So here is the captivity routes. The uh, the red lines show from uh, Samaria and Jerusalem, going across to um, Assyria and over to Media. So the Assyrians took the Israelites captive 734-732 BC, and then again in 722 and then the yellow line shows the babylonians or the green line taking the jews into captivity 604 to 587 bc and we should all know which famous king from babylon took them over it was of course king nebuchadnezzar but now we're talking about the time that they left and the time that they came back to their land Jeremiah 31, 8 and 9 talks about that time. Behold, God says, I'll bring the Jews from the north country, because they would have to come up and round the desert and then down, and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child, the one who labors with child together, a great throng shall return there. But they come with weeping and supplications. I'll lead them, I'll cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So friends, in modern days, people have grabbed this prophecy, taken it out of its context of a return from Babylon, and they've applied it to this. They've applied it to 1948. That is the state of Israel being reborn. But friends, the prophecy is being taken out of its context. And so this is very serious because a text without a context is a pretext. That's an ancient rule of biblical interpretation. A text without a context is a pretext. In other words, it is an untruth. Jeremiah 31, 8 and 9, is this 1948? No, they were brought from the north country from Babylon. They went up. And then they went down, the blind and the lame. This shows what happened to them in captivity. You've got women carrying children. You've got those who are pregnant with children. They're going back. They're crying in verse nine. They're weeping. um, And God causes them to walk by the rivers of water. What's that talking about? Well, have a look here. They are walking up there between the Tigris, you can see on the right, and the Euphrates on the left. They came up because you couldn't go through the desert to go back to Israel because it was too dangerous. And the lack of water, so they would go up through Assyria there, past Nineveh, through the Tigris and Euphrates. So, French, can you see the danger of misapplying a scripture from the past into the future? And so this is very, very important. I'm going back to the note. It's interesting to note that the texts that are sometimes misused to refer to the return of the Jews to Palestine in 1948 are actually predictions of their return from the Babylonian captivity. These prophecies have nothing to do with the 1948 establishment of the nation of Israel. So, friends, you can see tonight we're learning the importance of the context of understanding whether the prophecies are conditional prophecies or whether they are unconditional prophecies. And so that uh, prophecy had nothing to do with the modern nation and establishment of Israel in 1948 question number 10 when the jews returned from babylon captivity how much time did god give them we go to daniel 9 and verse 24 well i think you should remember this pretty well from our exhaustive prophecy seminar lesson number 13 70 weeks daniel are determined the angel gabriel said for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression make an end of sins make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy now i explained all that in lesson number 13. when the jews returned from babylonian captivity how much time did god give them he gave them how much 70 weeks how long was that well 70 weeks by seven is 490 days in these prophecies a day stands for a year so the jewish nation were given 490 years 70 times 7 490 years to shape up as god's people or be shipped out as we've previously studied see lesson 13 this 70 weeks refers to the 490 years that the jews were given to make things fully right as the covenant people when god allowed the jews to return from the babylonian captivity he gave them this final opportunity for 490 years. At the end of it, they rejected the Messiah. They crucified him and then began a systematic persecution of his followers by stoning the evangelist Stephen in Acts 7 and 8. The nation that once had been the honor depository of the truth of God had now killed the Son of God. Therefore, the spiritual term Israel could no longer be applied to jewish nation they were no longer overcomers well i think i need to give you some extra on this so if you'd um, direct your attention to the screen you might have your pen handy there's quite a few texts you might like to jot down israel was rejected as a nation under god so is there more evidence for that there absolutely is in matthew 21 43 jesus said to the jews the kingdom of god will be what It'll be taken from you, it'll be taken away from you. You're not worthy of it. In Matthew 23, 38, a more serious statement, see, Jewish nation, your house is left to you what? Desolate. That's like having no children to carry on your name. Acts 13, 46. The uh, disciple, the apostle Luke wrote, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you, Jews, first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life behold we turn to the gentiles friends notice how harsh the scripture is on the unrepentant na- nation of israel who rejected the messiah well is there any further evidence that israel would be rejected in matthew 21 33 to 45 and we won't read all of it i'm in the new living translation it's an interesting parable about the evil farmers. Jesus said, now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son thinking, surely they'll respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said one to another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. Friends, this parable, Jesus was telling the Jewish leaders that he knew that they were going to be rejected because they were going to reject the Messiah. And the end of the 490 90 years were going to be up. Notice back in verse 35, he referred to all those. The Jewish leaders are killed in the Old Testament. So the farmers grabbed his servant, beat one, killed one and stoned another. These verses all refer to Israel being rejected as a nation under God, as the covenant people of Israel. Matthew 21, 19, Galatians 3, 28, 29, Romans 2, 28, 29, Romans 9, 6 to 8, and Romans 10, 12. Who were those Old Testament prophets? Well, of course, there were many, but I think of Isaiah who was put in a log and sawed in half, a horrendous act. We have here Jeremiah in the pit, cast into the pit. Um, Some believe it was a muddy pit. Others believe it was a sewer. Of course, the Messiah himself was sacrificed by the Jews. On that good Friday afternoon, they were certainly keeping the Sabbath, but they'd killed the Lord of glory and had to get his body off the cross before the sunset. Absolute disgusting act. And then there's a man in the New Testament who was stoned, who had stood holding the cloaks of those who were stoning, the evangelist Stephen, and his name was Saul at the time, but later we would know him as the apostle Paul, and there he is being stoned outside one of the cities in the Greek archipelago. So friends, this tells us that nation Israel was rejected by God because their time had run out, they had been unfaithful, they had killed God's prophets, they'd rejected his son, and no longer would the Jewish people be a sovereign nation under God. The time had run out, the 490 years were cut off, for daniel's people and for the holy city jerusalem and that finished in A.D. 34 with the stoning of stephen they crucified jesus stephen was stoned then the gospel went to the gentiles and that takes us to heading number four christ's message to israel and with the top of page five the grapevine and the fig tree were symbols of the nation of israel referred to isaiah 5 1 to 7 we won't read all of that but let's pick up verse 1 and verse 7 Isaiah wrote, My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the one. That's right, the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. I think that's very clear. The vineyard is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the children of Israel. The fig tree was also a symbol of the nation of Israel. What did Jesus say would happen to the fig tree if it did not bear fruit? This is all a parable, it's all an analogy to what was going to happen to the Jewish nation. We go to Luke thirteen, six to nine. Jesus also spoke this parable a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not after that, you can cut it down. So what did Jesus say would happen to the fig tree if it did not bear fruit? Friends, it would be cut down because the fig tree was barren. The fig tree bear bore no fruit. The fig tree was a symbol, it was a model of the nation of Israel who were spiritually barren and would not give the gospel to the world. Question 12, why was Jesus unable to gather Israel to himself and what was to happen if they refused to be gathered to Christ? We go to Luke 13, 34 and 35. You know, in this verse, we see the beautiful heart of God, almost the mother heart of God, the nurturing instinct. The words of Jesus, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you are the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You were not willing. See, Israel. Your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why was Jesus unable to gather himself to Israel, and what was to happen if they refused to be gathered to him? He said, you are not willing. You didn't want to come to me, and so your house, Israel, is left to you desolate. That means that God's presence would be withdrawn and would no longer and no longer would Israel have the privilege of being the chosen people of God. What would happen to ethnic Israel's privilege of being the chosen people? Matthew 21, 43 to 45. Jesus said, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. On a, but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder friends are we arrogant and proud in our life and have no need of jesus because jesus is the rock the foundation stone in the temple he's the stone of god's kingdom in daniel 2 and if we don't fall on that rock and be broken and contrite and humble and dependent on jesus then the stone of god's kingdom will end up having to destroy us because we are not fit for the kingdom of God. We're in Matthew 21, 45. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Yes, that's right. He was speaking about them. What would happen to ethnic Israel's privilege of being the chosen people? Jesus said, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it, he's referring there to the Gentiles, non Jews would be given the gospel. What a stunning announcement. The privilege of being God's chosen people would be taken away from the Jews and given to someone else who produced fruit. Now I'm sure some of you are asking the question, when would this happen? Let me give you some extra. Do we know exactly when this happened? Well, I think we have a good indication in Mark fifteen, thirty-eight when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two, not from the bottom to the top, as a man would try and tear it, but from the top to the bottom. And Josephus says the curtain was four inches thick. No human head could tear that curtain. And so the priests, as they heard the temple, rip, feared the Shekinah glory would come out and they'd be killed. But when the curtain tore, there was no Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory had departed from the temple because the Jewish nation had sacrificed the son of God. The knife falls out of the nerveless hand of the priest and the lamb ran away. When the true lamb of God died on the cross, type met anti-type. The true lamb of God had come and the copy of him A lamb escaped. Friends, these are powerful understandings of God's word and how he deals with people. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's kind. Yes, his Holy Spirit tries to win us back every day. But then there comes a time past which the Holy Spirit of God turns away. Our fifth heading at the bottom of page five is that we're now going to have a look at New Testament Israel. Who's that? according to the apostle paul who is the real jew after the cross we're going to romans 2 28, 29 you know sometimes paul's hard to understand so i have to read this slowly because he has a way with words paul wrote for he is not a jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God i wonder if we could understand those verses a little bit more clearly and i'll take you there in a moment according to the apostle paul who's the real Jew after the cross for he's not a Jew as one outwardly but he is a Jew who is one inwardly we'll go to the new living paul said but for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the Jewish ceremony of circumcision, in Romans two twenty-nine, No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and true circumcision is not a cutting of the body, it's a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. Whoever has that kind of change seeks praise from God, not from people. The note at the bottom of page 5 says Paul makes it absolutely clear that after the cross, the real Jew is no longer the ethnic Jew, but rather the one who has accepted Jesus Christ. Paul clearly indicates that the term Israel is a spiritual term applied to a spiritual people. Would you join me at the top of page 6 in question 15? So we're asking who are the real children of God in the New Testament? Good question. The children of the flesh? In other words, ethnic Israel, or are they the children of promise, the children of the spirit? We go to Romans 9, 6 to 8. Once again, dealing with Paul. But is not that the word of God, but is not that the word of God has taken no effect? In other words, is the word of God powerless? No, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. I could say that in any church, not all the people sitting there are true believers in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, look, not all who say they're Israel are of true Israel. Not all who are ethnic Israel are spiritual Israel. Verse 7, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. He's quoting the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Living and see if we can understand it a little clearer. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say... Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. Verse 8. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. So there we see very clearly that earthly Israel is not the same as spiritual Israel. Verse 8 in the New King James, that is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Who are the real children of God in the New Testament? The children of the flesh or the children of the promise? Well, Paul puts us on the right track and he says, they are the children of the promise. They are counted as the true seed, the children of the promise, the ones promises given to Abraham in genesis god's people may inherit those promises too question 16 how only then can an ethnic jew become a spiritual jew according to the new testament we're in romans 11 14 15 19 to 21 and 23 you will say then the branches were broken off this is the uh the tree of god's salvation the jews were broken off the tree that i a gentile might be grafted in Well said, Paul says to the Gentiles, because of unbelief, they, the Jews, were broken off. And you stand by faith, but do not be haughty, don't be proud, but fear God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the Jews, he may not spare you, Gentiles, either. And they also, meaning the Jews, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Friends, that's absolutely fascinating because it tells us that individual Jews who follow Jesus Christ, the Messiah, can be grafted back in to God's tree of salvation. How only then can an ethnic Jew become a spiritual Jew according to the New Testament? If they do not continue in unbelief. Friends, I want to tell you one of the greatest sins Jesus pointed out with the Jewish nation in the New Testament was the sin of? Yep. Doubt and unbelief, a terrible, terrible combination that often cancelled out the power of God. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The only way an ethnic Jew can become a true Israelite after the cross is by accepting Jesus Christ and becoming a believer. The New Testament is very clear about the term Israel. It no longer refers to an ethnic nation, but to a spiritual people who have accepted Christ as Lord and Saviour well 17 says is there any longer a division between jews and non-jews in the new testament well not after jesus died on the cross thank god ephesians 2 14 16 19 for he himself jesus christ the messiah is our peace who has made both one who's the both that is jews and gentiles made them into one new man the new man is not a jew not a gentile not a jew not a non-jew the new man is a follower of christ the new man is a Christian. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. The King James calls it the middle wall of partition. What is that? Have a look at the Old Testament sanctuary. Here's a model of it. And notice the court of the Gentiles where anyone could come in, but then over the black line through the wall is the The court of the jews and you could not go in there and this typified the antagonism between the jews and gentiles that jews were allowed to do certain things but the gentiles were never measuring up they were never good enough they weren't god's chosen people and that jesus christ might reconcile them both jews and gentiles to god in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity when jesus died on the cross there's no jew there's no gentile they are all one man in christ jesus amen now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners not aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god having been built on the foundation stone of the apostles and prophets and what do we tell you before jesus christ is the chief cornerstone we build ourselves on the confession thou art the christ the son of the living god we build on petra petra is the rock whereas peter's name means rolling stone no he wasn't in the band he just was unstable we build on the solid rock is there any longer a division between jews and non-jews in the new testament The answer is that Jesus Christ might reconcile, bring together two hostile parties, both to God in one body through the cross. Let all the people say, amen. Well, no longer are there two separate groups, Jews and Gentiles. Paul affirms that all believers, regardless of their background, their ethnic origin, are now part of one body, and that one body is the Christian church. According to the Apostle Paul, this one body is now the new Israel. If a person belongs to Jesus Christ, what does Paul call him in Galatians 3, 28, 29? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if we belong to Jesus, what are we called? We are called Abraham's descendants and we are called the inheritors of of the promise that we are able to become spiritual israel how fantastic is that paul states an emphatic truth if you belong to christ you are abraham's seed abraham's seed was called israel thus all faithful christians are true israelites paul further states that this new israel is the christian church and it is the heir or the inheritor to the promises made to abraham thus all old testament promises made to the nation of israel and finding fulfillment after the cross are fulfilled in the new israel that has come into existence that is the christian church any reference therefore to israel in the end time must refer not to the nation of ethnic jews but to the new israel in the last days brought into existence by the cross that is the christian church to apply any prophecy in the Bible to the ethnic nation of Israel in the Middle East today is to totally deny the New Testament teaching on the nation of Israel. Well, I have had people say to me, you know, Pastor, what about this text? Romans eleven twenty-three 23 to 27, especially Pastor, have you ever read verse 26? And I say, yes, I have, which says all Israel shall be saved. And so they say, see, all Israel shall be saved. So what you are saying is wrong. Well, let's answer the question. All Israel shall be saved. Is that literal or is that spiritual? Is there one text that can sort it out for us? It'd be even better if the text came from Jesus. I think the answer comes in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way to God. I am the truth about God. And I am the life of God. I'm your new eternal life when I died on the cross. No man cometh to the Father, except, or the King James says, but by me. Friends, can ancient Israel all be saved literally as ethnic Jews? Do you remember there's a problem here? They are still waiting for the advent of the first Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross, is not their Messiah. He was rejected. He is not their Saviour. And so, when it says all Israel shall be saved, it can never be literal, ethnic Israel. It always has to be spiritual Israel, the ones who are grafted into the tree, the ones who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and the Messiah. Our final uh, heading tonight is number six, the final Israel. 144,000 are said to be sealed and ready for Jesus to come. From whom did the 144,000 come? We go to Revelation 7 and verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. There's our answer, Israel. Israel. So uh, from whom do the 144,000 come? Of all the tribes, of the children of Israel. Well, how do we get that uh, 144,000? How many tribes symbolically there were? Well, literally there were 12 tribes. There must be 12,000 per tribe. Let me share with you the note. Since this is a reference to the last days, the 144,000 made up of children of all the tribes of Israel must refer to spiritual Jews and not ethnic Jews. How do we come up with that? Well, friends, today there are 9.5 million ethnic Jews in Israel. How does 9.5 million divide into 144,000? So who are the 144,000 according to scripture? In Revelation 7, 4 to 9, I'll give you three pointers. Number one, they gain the victory over the beast, his number and his mark. This is what we're facing in our day. Number two, they have the father's name written in their forehead. What name would that be? It's the name that Jesus called his father. uh, And he called his father Abba Father, A-B-B-A. Is God's name written in any institution that he founded here on planet Earth at the end of the creation week? Could it be that the seventh day Sabbath, the memorial of creation, has the father's name written in? it. Sabbath has Abba in the heart of it because God wrote his stamp of approval on the Sabbath. God didn't write his name on a rock to celebrate that he created the earth. He wrote his name on time and his name is in the Sabbath. So these people have the heavenly father's name written in their foreheads, the name Abba, Father, and they worship the creator God. They don't worship the God of evolution. Point three from Revelation 7, 4 to 9, they are undefiled. The spiritual virgins, they are not engaging. They are not fornicating with mystery. Babylon. These are who the 144,000 are drawn from in the last days. Well, people get depressed. They're like, "Oh, I'm not a very good Christian. I'm not going to be part of the 144,000." Well, I want to tell you whether we are or not. There's good news. In Revelation seven, nine to ten, there's a bigger group in heaven than the 144,000. Is God trying to keep how many people out of heaven, or is He trying to get as many people as He can into heaven? And after these things, I looked, and behold, a what? What's it say? A great multitude. How big is it? Which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues, languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All right, I hope you enjoyed that little extra on to question 20 as we wind up. Who do the 144,000 follow? I think that's an easy answer. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. That's speaking spiritually. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. The Lamb refers to Jesus Christ. 144,000 follow Jesus. Obviously, they are not an ethnic, literal Jewish people group, but they are Christians. Friends, I just want to remind you again, remember the Jewish nation have rejected Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. They still await his first coming, except Messianic Jews who choose to follow Jesus Christ of Nazareth, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, may be saved as individuals. Where does John see the 144,000 standing in Revelation 14, 1? And I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. Where does John see the 144,000 standing? They're standing on Mount Zion. Amazingly, John sees these spiritual Israelites standing on Mount Zion. The very place that symbolized national Israel now symbolizes spiritual Israel. Here stand God's last day people who are ready to meet Jesus. Well, what events are happening on the earth when the 144,000 are sealed? We go to Revelation seven one to four, and after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, or on the sea, or on any tree. Friends. Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah 25, 33, talks about the sense of winds being strife and bloodshed and war. So these winds mean bad times coming. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees. This is the seven last plagues, of course, till we have sealed the servants of our God On their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. One hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. What events are happening on the earth when the hundred and forty-four thousand are sealed? Don't harm the earth, the seal, the trees, till we've sealed the servants of God and their foreheads. The final great time of trouble is about to begin. But before it comes, God seals his final Israel. Here at the end he delivers them. Friends, these cannot be literal Jews because they have rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And people who do not accept Jesus Christ as Messiah cannot get access to the Father. As Jesus said in John 14, 6, no man cometh to the Father but by me. 23, who does Daniel say is delivered in the final time of trouble where we're now returning full cycle to where we started tonight? At that time, Mikael. By the way, this name Mikael, the E-L ending, is the name for God. The name for God in Hebrew is L-E-L-O-H-I-M, Elohim. It means God, but it means plural, a plurality. One God, three people. And so the name Mikael means one like God. So the E-L ending has the name of God in the name. At that time, Mikael shall stand up and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Who does Daniel say is delivered in the final time of trouble? It's Daniel's people. It's God's people. It's the final remnant. Daniel indicates that it is his people who are to be delivered in the end time. John the Revelator tells it is the 144,000 who are to be delivered. In addition to the 144,000, John saw a great multitude that no one could number in Revelation 7 9. Obviously, out of the earth's billions, more than a literal 144,000 will be saved. Daniel's people and the 144,000 are the same basic people. They are the saved, they are the redeemed, they are the 144,000. They are spiritual people. Israel, and they all, without any doubt, have accepted Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. Question 24, what does the dragon seek to do to the remnant people of God? Revelation 12, 7, 8. And the dragon, we know that Satan was enraged with the woman. And in a future study, we'll cover this. The woman is the pure church. And Satan went to make war with the rest of her offspring. In other words, the remnant, that is the children of the pure woman. In the last days, this last day group of people keep the commandments of God, and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What does the dragon seek to do to the remnant people of God? He seeks to make war against them. He hates them, and he wants to destroy them. Revelation 12, 17 describes the final battle that seeks to destroy God's remnant people that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. This is the final battle foretold in January 11 and 12. It is Satan's final attempt to conquer God's Israel. Well, on the back page, number eight, instead of you reading it, I'm going to summarize it. So please look at the screen. We're going to review several points we learned in tonight's lesson. Number one. The term Israel is a spiritual term referring to a spiritual people. Two, the term Israel originally meant the ethnic descendants of Abraham. Number three, human choice prophecies are always conditional. And if people did not obey God's predictions, were not filled. Disobedience, not filled. They were conditional. Point four, Jesus Christ warned the Jews they would be bypassed as his chosen people and so eventually the christian church replaced those who rejected god's son the messiah number five after the cross israel refers to those who have accepted jesus christ the term israel or israel today means god's final people who are preparing to meet jesus christ when he comes not merely one nation in the middle east number seven the battle of daniel eleven forty-five 45 refers not to a battle in the middle east Um, Armageddon but rather to Satan's final attempt to destroy the remnant people of God. Well what's this Armageddon? Well let me explain it. I've been there twice, I've been there, thank you God, Um, in 1981, January 81, I've been there in May 2003. So this is a view from Mount Megiddo. Mountain uh, is Ha and Megiddo is the plain there, out on the plain so uh, Armageddon is really Mount Megiddo. And the point here is that all the armies of the world cannot fit on that plane. It's totally impossible. It's not a huge plane. And so it tells us the Battle of Armageddon is not a physical battle, a literal battle. It is a spiritual battle between the forces of Satan and the forces of the kingdom of heaven. Well, question 25 ends our lesson. Is it your desire to stand with God's true Israel? in the final mount zion i hope like me you will say yes 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 that's where i want to be on the great day well going back to our three theme questions what did we discover in tonight's lesson to whom does the term israel refer today Is it ethnic jews or to the true followers of jesus christ the answer is simply it's the true followers of jesus christ wherever they may be number two are some prophecies conditional on mankind's obedience absolutely human choice prophecies were based on obedience to all of god's conditions number three who eventually took on the role of god's chosen people the body of christ today is the true christian church well we've got a lot of people on the same score in the quiz so maybe we've got to make the questions a bit harder but before we get there let's try to response questions If it's clear to you from this lesson that the term Israel refers to spiritual people who have accepted Jesus Christ today and not to the ethnic nation of Israel, please place a tick in box number one. By the way, sometimes if you uh, have a look closely at the response questions, they give you a hint about the quiz questions to come. So look at number one. Question two, if it's your desire to stand with God's people, the final Israel, when Michael stands up to deliver God's people, would you like to show that by placing a tick in box number two, or you can say in your heart to God right now, that's what I want to do. Now, quiz questions tonight are true and false. Number one, the term Israel in scripture refers exclusively to the ethnic descendants of Abraham, true or false. True or false. By the way, last night I gave them a clue, so I have to give you a hint tonight. Tonight there are three false answers, but I'm not going to tell you how many true. So I have to be kind um, because last night we gave that out. There are three false answers. All right, number one, the term Israel in scripture refers exclusively to the ethnic descendants of Abraham, true or false. Number two, all prophecy in scripture will be fulfilled unconditionally, true or false. All prophecy in scripture will be fulfilled unconditionally, true or false. Number three, the, the New Testament indicates the term Israel refers to Christians who have accepted Jesus Christ as their saviour. So Israel in the New Testament can refer to Christians who accepted Jesus Christ as their saviour. True or false? Number four, the Bible specifically predicted the return of the Jews to Palestine and they dated it due in 1948. The Bible specifically predicted the return of the Jews in 1948, true or false? And number five, there's only one body through which Christ will work in the last days. That body is the church of Jesus Christ, true or false? All right. Well, I think that if you did your lessons for homework, you would know the answers to those questions. Let's go quickly. Question number one, the answer is false. Question number two, the answer is false question number three the answer is true question number four the answer is false so question number five the answer must be true the answers are from one to five false false true false true what do we learn in our prophecy seminar wall of truth tonight we started in daniel 12 1 and learned that israel today stands for the christian church friends next week. It's an exciting lesson. By the way, it's a big lesson. You can just join us and try and get through it in the night. But there's a big green exhibit in there. You really need to take some time out. We're going to be looking at the rapture, how that fits in with the second coming. Going to look at events of the second coming. It's a big lesson. So if you can put time aside, you know you might be able to grab some time in the next week. Please put time aside and spend some time in that lesson. You will be rewarded if you do so. What are we going to learn? Does Jesus Christ return to the earth in a secret coming? Number two, are people left behind on the earth to be converted after the so-called rapture takes place? Number three, where did the rapture teaching actually come from? These are all very, very important questions. The week after, in two weeks' time, we're going to do the mark of the beast. What powers are represented by the two beasts in Revelation 13? Number two, what is the mark of the beast? Number three, who received the mark of the beast? And number four, when is it received? That's two weeks' time or session, prophecy seminar session number 24. Don't miss it. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you tonight for this amazing lesson. Thank you for teaching us that we, the Gentiles of modern times non-ethnic jews may be grafted in to the tree of salvation if we believe that jesus christ is the messiah thank you father that we who are outsiders can through jesus christ become insiders what a beautiful plan of salvation that is bless every head bless every heart that bows to you tonight we ask it in jesus precious name amen
0: been listening to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Daniel with Pastor David Price. For more information about this series, you can visit the YouTube page, True Blue SDA, or one word. That's True Blue SDA.
1: This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.